so glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Dwight. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are just doing this um, this slow reintegration, restarting things, and uh, I'm so glad that you all are a part of, of this. Um, you know, what would be a huge help to us is, uh, I know that it's, it's hard to get here, like, at at 9.30 necessarily, but if you're coming, if you can, if you can be staggering closer to 9.30 than 10, that would help us a lot, uh, and so that way we don't have anyone just standing outside waiting to, to come in, and that would be really great, but I'm so thankful, and please remember to register as well. Um, I know that Brian will probably give that announcement at the end, but that way we can plan uh, who's coming, who's not, and it'll help us make decisions uh, for the future as well, and it'll quicken the process uh, downstairs also. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then, um, and then I'm going to read. Actually, let me read scripture, and then we'll pray. Uh, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. It will be up here on the screen for you. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Thanks so much for for this word, Lord. Um, Here's what I'm going to do. Kids, uh, last week we had you like blinding me with flashlights. We're going to do something new this week. All right, you can stay right where you are, but whenever I say the word God, I want you to make a Y. Can you do that? Yeah, even for some of you older kids, you know, that you need to do this is going to help you stay involved. That's great. Okay, so when I say God, what do you do? Great. God. Wonderful. Man, yeah, I think you guys got it. All right. And I'll explain why. You know, the, the whole song YMCA, you can just leave out the MCA and just do the Y. All right. And I'll explain to you why that is about halfway through. So you at least have to stay with me till halfway mark. Okay, kids. And we'll go as quickly as we possibly can. All right, so I'm going to advance these slides. Here we go. We're starting a new series called Who is God? And let me pray to to God. We believe in a God. We believe in a God who hears us and who responds to us. So let me pray. God, thank you that you are here with us, that you are imminent, which means you are close. Yes, you're transcendent. You're you're large. You're, You're holding everything together in the universe and what we know and beyond that. But you're here. And you know where each one of us is coming from. You understand what happened last night, difficulties this morning. You know where we stand financially, uh, physically, socially. You know all these things, and you're in control. And sometimes it's hard for us to believe that when, when things just seem like they're spinning away from the trajectory of, of your fame and your glory and people really understanding who you are, but yet, nonetheless, you, you hold a sovereign hand. And it's a compassionate, loving, sovereign hand that we're going to get to see from this text that we're in this morning and for the next few weeks. So thank you that you are that. We love you. Amen. So who is God? Uh, You forgot to do it already. I said it. Okay, who is God? All right, there you go. So if we were to go through the room and we were to go through the city and we had you give little surveys to people, you would get a plethora of of responses. Now, kids, what does plethora mean? Come on. That's your homework for the week. Next week, come back. Tell me what plethora is. If you're an older kid that doesn't know what it is, that's your homework too. Many responses. You would get so many responses to that question. And the reality is, is that we're not born knowing who God is. We're not born knowing 
systematic theology and understanding all the ins and outs and attributes and characteristics of who God is. So we need revelation, which means that we need something from the outside. We need sources to help inform us to answer this question of who is God. Now, the source is very important because all of us would attempt to answer who is God. We try and give our response. I see those hands. It's amazing. All right. Source is really important. Many of you have based at one point your understanding of who God is on experience. That either you've had a good experience with someone who said that they loved him or a bad experience. And so you've, you've started to create your understanding of who God really is based on your experience. Maybe it's a religion. Maybe you know someone who's Jewish or Buddhist or Christian or Muslim, and their understanding of God has been explained to you, and so you begin to base your understanding of who he is around what they're saying. So maybe it's religion. Maybe it's observation. You observe the way that nature happens, and you, you deduct your understanding of who God is based on the things that you see. Maybe it's from the media. Maybe it's from the media. I don't know. But who is right Who is right? Who is able to give you the right response for who God actually is? Here's the thing. We have this thing in our society that we just all, we don't want to offend one another. And and I get it. Like, I do not want to live in offense with with everyone all the time. But, But we go to the nth degree, don't we? That we go to the nth degree to make sure that we kind of say, well, we pretty much believe the same thing. It's like, wait, you think that not eating meat is the right thing. I think that eating meat is kind of the only thing. We don't believe the same thing. It's like, yeah, but it's all food. It's like, yeah, but the substance that we're eating is very different. Now, I'm not against veganism or meatism. I'm for both of them, okay? Don't, don't get upset about that. But who is right? Because we all can't be right. We all can't be right. I think God is a a doorknob. I remember going to, uh, my undergrad was in social work, so I had to go to some Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous meetings as part of my study. And I remember hearing people because it's really important for them to have a higher power to help them overcome these addictions. And, And it's beautiful. But some of it, some of it is strange, right? Because you can have any higher power you want. So literally one guy is like, I'm really holding on to a doorknob. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know if that doorknob is going to help you. You know, like, I really don't know. Is, is he the same as, as a Muslim, as a Jewish person that, you know what, the doorknob or Allah or God, they're all going to get there in the end. I don't, I don't think that's, that's right. I don't think that's right. So I'll just show my cards right away that I don't think that all roads lead to the same place. The source is very important. So, What if God actually told you who he is? If you want to get to know me, yes, you can ask other people. But if you want to get to know me, you should sit with me. You should ask me questions. You should let me talk about who I am. Because honestly, I think I'm the best source to unfold who I am. You might disagree, but that's fine. And so what if God said who he was? And in fact, he did. And this is what this series is all about. God unpacking who he is. Those two verses in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Some of you are already getting tired. Your wives have become like this, right? Come on, kids. You're supposed to have young and be full of vigor and all that stuff. But why is this so important that we understand who he really is? 
Because the reality is, is you could be here and be an atheist, you could say you're an atheist, but I would say, I disagree with you. We all believe that there's a God, because we all worship something. We all devote our lives to something and sacrifice for something and have an end goal in mind. And we could actually call that a God. Something that you give your body and your life and you sacrifice for. In fact, that's what Paul says in the New Testament in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. So it's important that we answer who is God because we all have a God. We all have a God. We're all worshipers. We're all worshipers. And so which is the best God? Which is the best God? And we're going to get at that specifically next week. But for today, let's look at God and his name. Did you know that God's name is not God? Did you know that? God's name is not God. Some of you know that. Good. <laughs> you're, you're attracted with me. To say wife, you know, if I called my wife wife, that, that would not be very respectful. Right? There would be repercussions for that probably. I don't call Jess by her title, wife. But I might say to you, your wife. That would be respectful. Right? But God is, is not a name, it's a title. That there are many gods, and we'll look at that next week. But like wife, teacher, forward, apple picker, whatever it is, right? These are just titles. But knowing someone requires knowing their name. Knowing someone requires knowing their name. And surprisingly, God doesn't reveal and open up his name until we get to Exodus 3. Now, you might be thinking, like, big deal. And if you count chapters in the Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, Exodus is the second Genesis has 50 chapters, and we get into Exodus 3, and that's when we find out God's name. And you're like, well, that's only 53 chapters in this massive book. But I would just say that that spans thousands of years. That God creates, we believe that God is a creator. He creates Adam and Eve, we believe that God created humanity. And so he, he creates humanity, but as far as we know, he doesn't disclose his name to them. Yes, he's a creator to them. He's a provider for them. He's a definer of good and evil. But we don't get to know God's name in, in the garden. Then we jump forward with Noah and the flood. And, and Noah does all these great things for God. But we don't yet know God's name. And then we get to Abraham. Okay, so we're jumping thousands of years still. We get to Abraham. And finally, God says something to Abraham about who he was. Now, Abraham was a a worshiper of a different God. Abraham came from Ur and the Chaldees. And so as he came up out of this polytheistic culture, ready kids? Polytheism. Say it with me. Polytheism. So plethora and polytheism. Those are your homework assignments. Okay. What does plethora mean? What is polytheism? Abraham came out of this culture where there were many gods. I've taken my two boys to India and I've shown them there are gods everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And one, one day we were in our hotel looking down in a little alley, and they were making gods. So it's like there are new ones that need to be created and formed. And, and Abraham came from that type of culture. Many gods. And he specifically, in that region, they worshipped a, a god that has a funny name, Nana, which sounds like Nana, which is what my kids call their grandmother. Right? So Abraham is worshipping his Nana, which is a moon god. Okay, And so most likely that was who he was locked into, sacrificing, devoting himself to this false God. And then God comes and he interrupts Abraham's life. And he says, hey, Abraham, 
my name is El Shaddai. Now, El is a name that the Canaanites used for king of gods. Shaddai means almighty. So when God comes to Abraham, he still doesn't reveal his name. He says, hey, you know that God El that you know? Abraham's like, yeah, I know that. He's like, I'm kind of like him, except I'm stronger. And so that is Abraham's understanding of who God is as he's tracking throughout his life with God, El Shaddai, the strong one. And, and he knows different aspects of him, but God doesn't like open up the suit to let him know exactly who he is specifically. And from that point, it just kind of gets funny. From Genesis 12 to 15 to the rest of the book, God becomes known as like the God of Abraham. Like, which God do you worship? I, the God of Dwight, that one is the one I worship. It's like, that gets strange, doesn't it? God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham and Isaac, which would be Abraham's son. And then Abraham's grandson, Jacob. God referred to himself as, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then we see that he says, I'm the God of your fathers. But he's still not giving his name. Thousands of years. You think that God is not patient. He's waiting for just the right time to give his name reveal. And so then enters Moses. You know Moses? All right, we got one. One person knows Moses. That's good. I mean, that's a good percentage. But we know Moses. And Moses has this interaction with the burning bush. And the burning bush ends up being God speaking to him. And God gives him this, I want you to go back into Egypt and I want for you to deliver my people up out of slavery. And I'm going to put the verses up on the screen for you. I would love it if you brought Bibles with you or you could download version on your phone for next time. Uh, but I'm going to put them on the screen for us this morning because I really want for you to be able to see this and process it. And here we go. Exodus 3, 11 to 15. This comes just after God says, deliver my people. Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. And then this is a really important question. Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Moses is finally like, enough of this. Who am I going to say to these millions of people? Imagine, imagine that. You're sent in to millions of people to say, hey, there's a God, the God of your ancestors and fathers are going to bring, he's going to bring you out from this slavery. It's like, well, what's he done for us? We've been enslaved for 450 years. Now all of a sudden he's going to do this thing? Moses is like, what am I supposed to tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. What I want to do is I want to walk through this. All right, I want to walk through this. 
This is important for us to actually get to the passage that we're going to be looking at over the next six or seven weeks. This is really important, all right? So, so pay attention. In Exodus 3, verse 13, when he said, what is his name? What is his name? It's not just like, what's your name? Tell me. Larry, you know, Larry, the God of Abraham, Jacob, like he's sending me. This, this word, now I'm not a Hebrew scholar whatsoever, but I know how to use enough tools to be dangerous, okay? So, Mashamo is the question that he's asking to God. And it's not just what is his name or what is your name, it's what is the significance of your name? What is it about you that people are going to hear that and say, ah, he can do the task that he's saying he can do? And this is where the big name reveal comes. Hey, yeah. It's fun. I'm probably mispronouncing it. That's okay. Hey, yeah. This is what God says. When God refers to himself with his name, this is the name that he speaks about. This means I am. This means I am, which means I am constantly and consistently everything that I am. I never change. I don't evolve. I don't um, have bad days. I don't become less compassionate or more or less loving. Like, I am always the same. This is the name that God uses for himself. So when you're like, what is God's name? How would God refer to himself? I love the wise. They're still coming. I love them. All right. This is what he would say. Eya. But we don't say that about God. That's not the, the name that we use with him. So in Genesis, I mean, Genesis, Exodus 3, verse 15, we get a different name that we get to use. And it's this. Someone pronounce that. Well, that's good, except there are no vowels in that. So it'd be kind of like, right? We can't really do much with that. It's called the tetragram. It's, it's four Hebrew letters brought together. And what we've done is we've added vowels so that we can actually uh, say this. So say it now. Yahweh. That's right. So this is God's name. It's taken thousands of years to learn God's name. And for us, we're just like, yeah, okay. But imagine being the people who are trusting in, in a God that we don't yet fully, completely know. We know little bits about him, and that's enough. We have all of the Bible and we look at some of the Old Testament stories and they're like, well, why weren't they just more faithful? Why didn't, they, why didn't they understand this? Because they didn't have the whole Bible. They didn't have generations of God's faithfulness to look back on. And so this is massive when God says, Eya and Yahweh, that we now know his name. And the Jews were scared to say his name. They didn't want to take his name in vain. They didn't want to say it wrong. So instead of actually saying Yahweh, they would say something like Hashem, which is the name. Or Adonai, which is Lord. And so very rarely did God actually get called by his name. But here's the thing. God wants for his people to know his name. Look what he says in Exodus 3.15. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Now, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with calling him God. There's nothing wrong with calling him Lord. There's nothing wrong with calling him the creator, the provider, my everything. Those are all good, right, true, accurate, and should be used. But he also is inviting us deeper than calling him a title. He's giving us his name. 
I've said to many of you who have said, hi, Pastor Dwight. I'm like, just call me Dwight. Like, thank you. I, I get what you're doing with the pastor thing, but like, just call me Dwight. I'm inviting you into a, a different relationship because so often what I've seen is that the pastor is like, oh, a pastor is here and everyone else is here. And I'm like, oh, no, no, like, I'm, I'm one of you. Like, we, we are the people of God together, right? This is my, my gifting. This is how I work out being part of the people of God, but, but call me Dwight. And that's huge when, when someone says, no, you're not to refer to me as that. Just call me this. Because they're inviting you into relationship. They're inviting you into friendship. And this is what God is doing with his people at this moment. Saying, I, I want to be known by my name. I want you to really know who I am. And it's profound when Jesus does this in the New Testament with his disciples. Look at this. In the book of John, chapter 15, there's a book in the New Testament Jesus says, you are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. Jesus is saying, you're my friends. Yahweh is saying to Moses, you're my friend. They're my friends. They're my people. But I want to be known to them as a friend. And so what happens in the story, all right, let me bring you back into the story. God sends Moses into Egypt and through a bunch of different plagues, which are very epic. God shows how he's better than the Egyptian gods. And he brings his people up out of slavery. And he brings them to Mount Sinai, which is where the Ten Commandments were given. And like the mountain shaking and cloud and lightning, crazy scene. And so Moses goes up on the mountain, receives the Ten Commandments from God and other parts of the law. He comes down and Moses was gone too long, the people thought. So they're like, ah, we don't know what happened to him. So what they do is what anyone would do. They, they made a golden calf, right? They're like, oh, our leader's been gone too long. We don't know what's happened to him. 40 days has passed. So we're going to make a golden calf. And I, I really don't think that they were creating a different God to say this calf brought us up out of Egypt. Like that would be nutso. But what I think they were doing is that we want a visible, something we can touch, something we can hold and say, this is our God. This is a representation of our God that brought us out of Egypt. Now, the problem was that that broke the first two commandments that Moses just came to give them. And so Moses comes down and he's frustrated and he breaks the golden calf. And he, I mean, this would take a long time. He, he puts it into powder and then he makes them all drink it. Right? I mean, you really have to be frustrated to grind something down into powder. This probably took days. He's like, hold on, stay in line. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to grind it into powder some more so you can drink this. He's frustrated. Moses is frustrated with the people of God. And so what Moses does is he, he makes a tent. He builds a tent, a tabernacle at the base of the mountain. And God comes to meet with Moses. This cloud would come over the tent as Moses would meet with him. And all the people would be like in fear and awe of what was taking place. And then we see this conversation. This is all backdrop for what we're going to talk about the next few weeks. Moses said, please let me see your glory. Let me see you in your fullness. No more hiding. I want all hundred proof Yahweh. Show me. 
God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face. For humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You you are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. God is ready to reveal himself more fully. And so here it is. Here's our passage. When the Lord passes by Moses, the Lord came down in the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation. This is who God is. And I know we just passed by it. So you're like, okay, that's good. But what's in here is absolutely epic. And in fact, all the rest of the Old Testament is showing us who God is. It's an unpacking of God's revelation of his name. It's God being faithful to whom he said he would be faithful to. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is just look at these two verses. And let me say this, or ask this question rather. Isn't this who we want God to be? Let me read slowly for you. He says that he is compassionate. He is compassionate. This means that he enters into our hurt This means that he weeps with us. This means that he isn't distant, but he's imminent. And he's with you in the pain and suffering that you're going through. And God, as we'll see in Jesus, is not a God who understands suffering just theoretically, but he understands suffering through experience. That you have a compassionate God that says, I want to be your friend. Have you ever been going through a really hard time and you speak to friends about it and it's like they just don't get it or they give you the worst advice in the world and you're like, you're a horrible friend and then you have to call them and apologize the next day. But we have a friend in God who is compassionate, who enters into our hurt. We also have a God who is gracious. There are no other gods that are gracious. I just want to put that out there. If you worship money, money is not gracious. If you worship status, status is not gracious. If you worship power, power is not gracious. If you worship your kids, you know they're not gracious, right? We worship all these gods that are not stacking up to who God really is. We have a gracious God who gives us what we don't deserve, Every other God, you have to prop up and keep going and run after it and, and help them stand. But we have a God who's gracious and gives us what we don't deserve. This is outstanding. We have a God who is slow to anger. Some of you think that God is like waiting to slap you across the face for doing something wrong. But instead, he is uberly patient. Ridiculously patient. Waits thousands of years to share his name. Like, can you imagine? 
some, sometimes I struggle to, to wait to share things with people, right? I'm so excited. And God is, is slow to anger. He's, he's slow to, to bring justice in fullness. He abounds in love and faithfulness. Do you know what this means? God doesn't sleep, but if God did, it would be like him waking up, excited to show you love and to be faithful to you. You ever have those ideas in your head of like this little puppy that like jumps up at the end of the bed and is like all excited waiting for you to get up out of bed? Maybe you have a very outgoing cat that does that. I don't know. Or a child that is jumping at the end of your bed like waiting like what are we going to do? It's like the same thing we do every day. We're going to eat breakfast. Like go back to bed. Right? But God is like, it's like he's waiting for you to wake up. It's like he's waiting. He, he's abounding. He's, he's ready to pounce with love and faithfulness towards you. I've read about a lot of other gods, and I see none like this. I see none like this. That he is a God who is forgiving. And by the way, there's no limit to his forgiveness. One of his disciples asked, yeah, but like how many times am I supposed to forgive? Like, do you know that guy? Do you know what he does? Like, I've forgiven him six times. One more time, he's done. It's like, oh yeah, I mean, just go ahead and multiply that by 70, which is kind of like saying there's no end. There's no end to the amount of forgiveness because it's not us when we're forgiving other people. It's like, I don't have it in me to forgive them, but God does. He has it in him to forgive infinite times. Like, it's, it's incredible. And we have a God who is just, who is going to make everything right. I mean, seriously, any other God that we find our hearts going after, you need to take it out, hold it, examine it next to this God. Because if this is true, if there is one true and living God, then no other God that I've read about, and I've read about a lot of them, I've sat with a lot of people, and I myself have pursued many different gods, right? Not little statues, but things that I'm hoping will fill voids inside of me. And none of those gods can come through. They're all found impotent. And yet this God, who promises to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounds in love and faithfulness, forgiving and just, he wants to be your friend. We talk about prayer as if like this really intense thing that we have to get up super early and drag ourselves somewhere and say, holy thou art the thine father or whatever. But you have a friend that's waiting to talk to you. And I don't want to, I don't want to take away the reverence of who God is, the holiness that we don't play around with him. Like he's someone to be feared in that regard, but he's also a friend. He's also a friend. And here's the thing. Despite Yahweh being experienced over and over and over and over by his people, all throughout the Old Testament, they kept going after different gods. But do you know what's true about Yahweh? He kept going after them. There's a story in in the Bible about a prophet named Hosea. And God said, "Uh, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Now that's confusing, isn't it? But... Essentially, this woman kept leaving Hosea. Her name is Gomer. She kept leaving Hosea to go be with other people. And Hosea is a picture for us of what it means for God to keep going after his people. That we, the people of God, are unfaithful, and yet God keeps being faithful. We keep leaving him to go pursue whatever shiny thing we think is going to give us joy in the moment. And yet God keeps coming after us. Because he's a jealous God. 
And not jealous, like someone gets a promotion and you're like, I should have gotten the promotion, blah, blah, blah. Jealous in that he knows that he's best. And he knows that we're missing out when we go after anything other than him as our object of worship and affection. So this is the goodness of God that even though our hearts keep going astray, he keeps rescuing. And he made sure that rescue was going to happen forever. Forever. How? Well, not only did God call someone up into the cloud so that he could download something onto tablets, right? It gets very funny at this moment. I hope you picked up some of the irony in the the photo. Tablet, download, all that. Anyway, I had fun with it. So uh, God doesn't just download something onto a tablet. God himself steps out of the cloud and comes to us. In the book of John, John chapter 1. John is a book in the New Testament written by a guy named John, right? Very simple. And John was one of Jesus' followers and got to experience a lot of Jesus' ministry. And John takes Exodus 33 and 34 that we've just been looking at, and he connects it to Jesus. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh, and we could do all of John 1, but we just have a few more minutes, so we can't do that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus. We observe his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, let me just show you a few things. Remember how I said that Moses put up a tent or a tabernacle? A meeting place with God? Well, that's the exact thing that's said when the word became flesh and dwelt. He tabernacled among us. He was the meeting place of God with us. Grace and truth at the end. Actually, the better translation is love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness. Abounding in love and faithfulness. So Jesus is Yahweh. Right? John is making this connection for us. And then glory, we observed his glory. God said, you can't see my face. You can't see the fullness of my glory and live. But now what do we see in Jesus? The glory of God made manifest, able to touch, able to see, able to to watch him do the things that only Yahweh can do. I mean, this is Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh stepping down off the mountain to reveal himself. And here's the thing, he wants to be known. He wants to be known. You see, one evening, Jesus had finished a long day of ministry and he sent his disciples across the lake. He says, hey, I'll meet you on the other side. And so they're out in the boat and they're, they're going on and it's late. And then Jesus, the, this accounts in Mark chapter 6, verse 43 to 48, somewhere in there. And uh, Jesus is going to Cross the lake, like walking on water. And I get that maybe some of you have issues with that. That's fine. We're not going to talk about that right now. But Jesus is going to walk by them. And it said that, specifically it said that he intended to pass by them. Now, I always read that passage as like, you know, if Jesus, if you intended to like get around them, why didn't you just make your course a little bit like further to the left so they couldn't see you? But that's not what Mark is trying to communicate to us. He's trying to tell us that at that moment, Jesus intended to show that he was Yahweh to these followers. That this was a theophany where he was going to like take off the robe and the cape and show who he really is. 
But instead of being welcoming, the disciples get scared and they're afraid. And Jesus is like, oh, hey, don't worry, it's me. And he gets in the boat and they go across. But there's another account where Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He brings them to the top of the mountain. He says, okay, now's the time. And he lets the glory fly. And it says that Jesus was transfigured. It was like he was in the fullness of the glory of God for them to get to see and experience. And like Peter loses his mind. He's just a talker and an out loud processor. And he's like, well, let me make a tent for Moses and Elijah and for you. And we'll just stay here and have cookies and do all kinds of things. And, and like when we see the glory of God, it's so destabilizing. That Jesus wants to make himself known to his disciples and he wants to make himself known to us. That Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus wants to enter into the circumstances of your life and be your friend. But Jesus also comes down the mountain to bring justice. That Jesus came and he was against sin. Sin is imperfection. Doing anything, whether it's a thought, motive, deed, anything. That's out of line with with God's perfect way. And Jesus came, and hear me carefully, Jesus came against sin. Jesus was all for sinners. He's like, come to me. Jesus was called the friend of of sinners. But he comes down the mountain to bring justice against sin. And Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies. And he pays the penalty for sin so that sinners could be made righteous and could be called friends of God. And Jesus rises from the dead so that he could invite us in himself. We wouldn't be talking about a dead prophet. We'd be talking about a living God and Savior who rises from the dead to accomplish redemption once and for all. The better exodus where Moses could only bring people out of slavery for a little while before they were enslaved to other gods again. Jesus brings us out of spiritual slavery forever through Jesus. Right, this is epic. This is, this is what every story tries to do. This is the happy, they lived happily forever after. Right? You don't really get that until you get the story of Jesus. It's his kingdom that is happily ever after. And yet there's a choice, isn't there? That we can receive Yahweh or we can reject him. We can receive Jesus or we can reject him. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, at one point, we were enemies of God. And he invited us to be his friends. He invited us to be his family. And so our hearts should, should tingle a little bit. Our hearts should get excited. Our hearts should, should raise up in worship of a God that would invite us into this reality. That there's no greater love than someone laying their life down for their friends. And that's what Jesus does for us. No one will ever love you more than Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, he says, today I want to be your friend. I went to the cross for you. I went to the cross because of what was going on in your heart. And I I rose from the dead so that I could offer life to you today. And if you'll say, Jesus, I want all in. Forgive me. All my sin, remove it. I want to be in on your family. Like that, you're in. You're in. He's gracious. Doesn't make sense. It's not about what you do. It's about what he's done. And so the way that I want to respond this morning is a, a few different ways. I'm going to invite Jillian Wright to come up here. Jillian, you can come up this way and grab the microphone closest to me. I don't think anyone's used that one. Um, 
how do we respond? Well, number one, you can receive him. I just, I just talked about how you can do that. But you can enjoy him. Do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy him as your friend? Do you, do you take long periods of time where you're talking to him about all the things that, that you really enjoy about him? It's not just getting stuff from him, but about enjoying who he really is. And I want to I encourage you this week, speak to him as a friend. Use his name, Yahweh. It seems strange at first, because I'm so used to saying God, Lord. But use his name, Yahweh. Engage with him at that level. And let him change you to be like him. All these things that we read about, compassionate, slow to anger, the spirit of God is working into you right now. So thanks, Jillian, for joining me. You can take your mask off if you want. You have lots of social distance up here. (laughs) All right. um, So I have three questions for you. Uh, Number one is, how have you experienced friendship with Yahweh? Yeah, so I was thinking about this, and there was a time last year where uh, friendship, the idea of friendship with God really lit up for me, which was I was in the hospital um, pregnant with my third child, uh, Samuel, and I had to, I had just checked in to be there for what was supposed to be four weeks um, before delivering, um, just as a precaution because I had a high-risk pregnancy. And so here I am, checked in, Jeff and the kids left, and the reality of the loneliness of that and the fear, being alone in that fear, just really hit me. And um, I was just sad, just really sad. And um, I, there was an empty chair across from me, and I, just, I looked at that chair, and I just, I just pictured Jesus in that chair. And when I pictured Jesus or God in that chair... I saw him as my friend, and it was really the first time, or maybe like the strongest time that I saw him as truly my friend, as with me, and as for me, and um, I think I really grasped the concept of him as king and ruler and all of that, but that really brought brought the reality of that he is my friend um, in that moment of, of loneliness and um, just uncertainty. That's so, so good. Yeah. So we can like sing songs about like, I'm a friend of God and all that clappy mm-hmm. stuff. But being a friend of God also means that we have struggles. So what type of struggles have you gone through having Jesus as your friend? Yeah, I, um, I think one of the struggles I've had is um, I've had a hard time believing that his friendship is unconditional. That, you know, when I mess up or when I'm not faithful, that he's not mad at me. It's hard for me to see him as a friend that is going to stick with me. I see him, I think, the way maybe a friend would get upset at me. I see him kind of humanly. Like, if I'm not good enough, that our friendship is tainted. And so that's not true. But that's a struggle that I've had um, in friendship with God. Yeah, that's common. Very common struggle. The last question I have, this has been very helpful. Uh, Last question is, how do you help your kids know Jesus as their friend? Yeah, so something I, I say to my kids a lot is, Jesus is our truest friend. And so what I mean by that, especially for my oldest, who's like in school and kind of in that realm of making friends, um, what I mean by that is every expectation we have of a friend, our deepest desire for a friend, is met in Jesus in a way that no one else can meet it. So my hope in them hearing that is that it frees them up to make friends without looking for something that only God can give them. So God's friendship is different than those 
um, in the world, and so we're meant to have friends in the world as well, but we don't have to use them for something that we can only get from God. We can have full affirmation and love from God and be free to make other friendships. Um, Thank you so much, Jillian. So helpful. Thank you. So the Lord is, is our friend, and he's invited himself into our life, and he's inviting us into his life. So a few of the ways that, that we respond to him is, is this. Uh, he has given us everything. Absolutely everything you have is his. And so he wants to cause us to be generous as well. And so we get the opportunity to give. And so online, you can go to church21.ca slash give. And um, this is us getting to participate in doing mission together in this city so that more people can get to know who God really is. Uh, secondly is in city groups. Don't be a friend of God by yourself. One of the best things is when you have a group of friends and you all bring out things in the other that couldn't be seen without the full group being together. And so as city groups, Brian's going to explain a little bit more about that in just a second. It's really important that you're tracking, especially during this time in life as a friend of God with other friends of God so that they're able to encourage you and push you um, in your walk with him. And finally, I want to pray for you to be filled with the spirit of God, that this would make sense, that this would land, that this wouldn't just be um, a religious lecture that you hear, but instead these would be life-giving words to you. So let me pray, and then Brian will give us some announcements and send us out as the people of God. Yahweh, you are our friend. You, you decided that you would be our friend. Thank you so much for that. Thank you that you have entered into our world, a broken world, yet a world that you promised you would redeem. We thank you that you are doing that. I pray that you would fill us now with your spirit, that we would have hope and expectation that you would do far and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. And please send us out with your power and your authority to love and be compassionate and be slow to anger with our friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. We thank you, Yahweh, that you are our God. Amen.